Welcome back, Warriors. Tensei Sego Anibuju, Queeninda Luizi Pampometer, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This show is about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits while at the same time revitalizing all of our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. But most importantly, it is about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And today's episode is a follow-up from the previous one we did a couple of months ago with Six Nations land defenders Skylar Williams and Mika Burning, who joined us to share some of the historical context about their peaceful land occupation at 1492 Land Back Lane in Caledonia, Ontario. For those of you who haven't listened to that episode yet, please do, because it has all of the historical context that you need to really understand this land issue. The land defenders continue to peacefully occupy 1492 Land Back Lane, but they have been faced with both court proceedings and arrests by the OPP. So today we have with us here to give us an update on what's happening, Skylar Williams. Welcome back to the show, Skylar. Thank you for having me, Pam. <laughs> 85 days, 85 days today at Land Back Lane. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that's that's almost three months, essentially. This is it, yeah. That's a long, a long time. Yeah, um, sometimes it feels like a long time, and then, you know, you know, day 14 seems like a couple of days ago, so, you know, it's... It's an odd business. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Well, maybe for anyone who's just tuning in, who hasn't heard the other uh, episode yet, maybe you could just introduce yourself the way you like to. Uh, so yeah, uh, my uh, um, yeah, I'm Skyler Williams. I'm from Six Nations of Grand River. I'm uh, a Mohawk Wolf. Uh, we've been here at 1492 Landback Lane now for, yeah, like 85 days today. And so it's been, uh, uh, yeah, so I don't know what, um, what else there is. <laughs> yeah, well, that seems to be the central focus right now of commentators, social media, lawyers, OPP, politicians, you name it. Everyone seems to have... Um, Lots of opinions about what's going on. Most of them, I find, seem to be a little bit on the uninformed side, which is why we're doing this podcast, so we can set the record straight on lots of things. Now, the last time that we spoke, you and community members and allies were peacefully occupying 1492 Land Back Lane. It's day 85 now, but I noticed that after we interviewed you the last time, it was only not even two weeks afterwards that the OPP um, contacted Carl Dockstader, one of the co-hosts of One Dish, One Mike, an award-winning journalist, and told him to turn himself in to be arrested for what we're not quite sure because he was literally just reporting what was happening on the ground. And then we heard that... That's right. Yeah, and then we heard that um, Haudenosaunee uh, researcher Courtney Skye was arrested, but there's been many arrests since then. Can you give us an idea of the number of people who have been arrested? Uh, so yeah, right now we're at, uh, we're sitting at 32, I think, arrests so far. Um, okay. yeah. And so, and then they, they just talked about on, uh, on Friday there during the court process, court proceedings that there's another 22 warrants, uh, pending. Oh my goodness. That's, and I mean, from what we've learned in the media, none of these people were brandishing weapons. They weren't threatening the public safety of anybody. They weren't committing crimes. They weren't engaged in vandalism. They weren't robbing anybody. Why are these people being arrested? Uh, they're like, 90 like 95% of them are being charged with mischief and failing to abide the court order. Uh, and the court order is the injunction that's been uh, that I'm uh, named in. Uh, and so far to date, they haven't allowed any information from our side at all in the uh, injunction proceedings. 
So one of the things that Carl had said when he was arrested is that they wouldn't even give his legal counsel any information about the evidence upon which they're claiming to make this, you know, um, arrest against him. So he doesn't even know the full extent to why he was arrested as a journalist. And, um, you know, that, that raises a lot of concerns about the safety and the rights of you and everybody else who's been either, you know, arrested or charged with, you know, whatever it is that they're arresting everyone for. So after, after the, uh, the court hearing there on Friday was the first day that any journalist has come on site at 1492 Landback Lane since Carl's arrest. And that's most likely because of his arrest, right? It has put a scare into like all like journalists across the country that have been calling and wanting to meet up, but because I have warrants for me, I can't go off off the uh, off anywhere. I would like to to do these interviews with whoever it is that wants to do them. And so, yeah, if the journalists aren't allowed to uh, freely produce whatever news they want to produce, then you know it makes it very very difficult for uh, folks like myself and. Uh, uh, the, you know, couple of hundred people that have uh, came down and supported uh, Land Back Lane. Yeah, and never mind that all of these journalist associations and people who stand up for charter rights and human rights have, have all condemned, you know, the arrest of, of Carl, first of all. Uh, but what they spoke about in many of their letters of support and outrage was saying that by arresting Carl, it is intimidating. The police are intimidating other media from being able to actually cover the story and bring both sides. Well, and I think like anytime there's these kinds of situations, Carl did the, the amazing work that a lot of journalists do around, um, you know, uh, building relationships mm-hmm. because it's really, really difficult as a journalist to kind of parachute in at the, you know, at the flashpoint of one of these, which was, you know, like when barricades are going up and, mm-hmm. you know, when there's big confrontations. He did the work to, you know, uh, come down and, and talk to people and, and uh, you know, do the things that, uh, you know, good journalists do about, you know, building those relationships and making sure that he had the, the ability to be able to do that. Well, and that's no different than any other journalist who embeds themselves. Think of war correspondents or others who actually Absolutely. live in communities for like months at a time and they eat and they play cards with, you know, whoever, whoever it is that they're embedded with, because that's how you build relationships and trust. Absolutely. Nobody's going to talk to you about anything without yeah. that building relationship and building that trust. So Exactly. Because, you know, for too long, the media has, has always just been opportunistic. They jump in, they get the whatever and come out. But now media are, are terrified of being arrested. And now another concern that I have um, not that I was surprised to hear them use this terminology, but, uh, you know, I think I share the outrage of everyone to hear that the Haldeman County Police Services Board called the Six Nations Land Defenders, quote unquote, terrorists and demanded that the OPP remove you all from the land. On what grounds do they have to call you terrorists? I mean, I would like listeners to hear from you the kinds of activities that you all engage in there, because everything that I have seen has been like (laughs) feasts and concerts and lacrosse. Yeah, no, and we all kind of jokingly uh, with each other say it's been kumbaya and the f- kumbaya around the fire for the last eighty-five days, and it's and it's it really is that you know everybody's got their their water drums out and singing social songs and um, you know the, it, it's it really is that a lot of laughs, a lot of telling stories, playing lacrosse, um, and so yeah, it's it's been a it's been a a really fun and enjoyable time to be able to kind of spend and build community within our community. Well, and, you know, when I heard that word used, that these were terrorists, I'm thinking, 
since when is the game of lacrosse, which is the creator's game, <laughs> so you know, how can you characterize that as being a terrorist or everyone gathering around and having a feast or enjoying people like Derek Miller? I mean, Derek Miller and friends come and give a concert, you know. I mean, you can't imagine that there would be concerts going if you guys were actually engaged in even remotely terrorist activities. Well, this is it. The only the only day that there was ever weapons or violence or anything that came to camp was the day the OPP came in. That was the one and only day that there was ever any kind of violence that was done to anybody at, uh, at Landback. Well, that seems to be the trend in land occupations that the people who bring the guns and the violence is law enforcement, RCMP, OPP. Um, so one of the things I did, you know, in preparing for this interview was, you know, really looking up how does Canada define terrorism, like legally. So I, I looked it up on the Justice Canada webpage, and it's the unlawful use of violence against civilians in pursuit of political or religious aims. That includes, you know, um, violence causing death and bodily harm to large numbers of the public, endangering the public's lives on a large scale. And and I'm thinking, what what can you do with a lacrosse stick? <laughs> Honest to goodness, where's the danger in any of that? Where's the mischief, in fact? Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like the it's um, it's been a a long go, and I mean that, um, and I think the judge kind of on Friday kind of played into that that um, that line of thinking that the police services board kind of read onto, and uh, yeah, and so like it's I don't know, it's a, some very strong words from ignorant people. I think is is um, exactly where that's coming from well why don't why don't we actually get into that because many people don't know about this court proceeding on friday some of us were like glued and following people who were reporting on what was happening um and there were some really good lawyers on there giving like the play-by-play about what's happening but could you tell us what was the court proceeding about and then what happened during it So yeah, so the uh, court proceeding was to proceed with the um, uh, motion from the developer that was pushing for a permanent injunction, and so the that the permanent injunction, uh, as far as I'm concerned, is the you know permanent extinguishment of uh, of land rights for Haudenosaunee people over the land there, and um, so yeah, and the. Uh, the very beginning of the day, we had some opening arguments, um, and then the, uh, I'm representing myself in this particular, in the injunction stuff. Uh, we did raise a bunch of money for, for criminal defense, but uh, there's nowhere near enough to uh, dive into a civil court, civil case, uh, like uh, like with the, with the number of arrests and uh, what have you that we've kind of got already, and the number of them that are pending. Uh, we just don't have the the funds to be able to, uh, you know, crank up another, you know, half a million dollars to be able to uh, to to do it. Um, so the during the court proceeding, the um, uh, just before lunch, they had a um, the judge kind of and uh, Paul DeMillo from uh, Fox Gates uh, lawyer team uh, law firm. Uh, they uh, pushed for me to not be able to uh, represent myself, um, but not only that, to even if I had representation, that it wouldn't be heard anyway, um, because I'm still openly openly defying the the uh, the court order, and so my open defiance of that court order, they said, I'm not allowed to defend myself or have anybody from land back. Uh, do anything and because i'm the leader <laughs> um i i not only can't just go home myself to represent myself but i need to make everybody else go home as well which and which so, just shows how fundamentally they don't even understand how native people work but especially the haudenosaunee who are they to say 
Skylar, we appoint you the leader and now go make a bunch of Haudenosaunee people do stuff. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the thing is uh, we did try very hard to make sure that at the, at the end there to say like, like I'm not the leader and I'm not responsible for the actions of anybody else. And so to say that I'm somehow the, um, the only thing that I ever have said that I am in all of this is the spokesperson. And yeah. so I, I, other than that, that is, that's, that, that has been the, the beginning and end of my responsibilities here. And, and think about it from any other context. You see massive, you know, Fortune 500 companies when, you know, there's issues, they send out their communications person or their spokesperson, or even the government will have a spokesperson come out. Would we ever think in a million years, oh, that spokesperson? Yeah, they're the leader of that company or of that government. No, of course not. But they, it's almost like... They're, they're trying to vilify you and make it about you, A, to make you feel alone and unsupported, but also to divide you from your own people, which, I mean, isn't that their MO since contact? You know, let's make this guy the leader and separate them from the, from the people who are the governing body. And I think, you know what, that was like the, the ignorance from... Uh, the, the lawyers on the other side, Haldeman's lawyer and uh, um, Foxgate's lawyer, uh, as well as the judge, to um, uh, during his judgment had said that during no time had anybody from Six Nations uh, ever um, make any uh, push for, or protest to uh, this development here. Or the uh, or a specific claim on that particular tract of land. Uh, so we, as a community, have been protesting and petitioning government since 1820 to get squatters off our land. And then, so we went from 1820 to 1920, uh, petitioning and, and lobbying and doing all of the things we could within government, uh, including getting lawyers to to, to to help with that, and to no avail. And then uh, the Indian Act happened, and it, we were outlawed from being able to even argue that anyway, by way of not even being able to hire a lawyer to defend us in the first place. And so we went from 1920 to 1960, not being able to hire a lawyer to bring it to court. And then from from during that time, their residential school, the you know Indian Day schools, the Iprawash uh, uh, and Oka and all of these horrible things that happened to us as, as, as a community, pushing in band council to drive those wedges deeper in our communities to divide us as much as they possibly could. And then to come out in this and say, you know, at the last hearing, they said, you know, our failure to participate in the court process was our failure to participate in reconciliation. And so now that I'm standing in before the court and you're sitting here saying that like, we've never, we've never, um, put a claim in against this land. Damn right we have. We've spent uh, 150 of the last 200 years uh, trying to fight that. And then in the, in, the, in the last 50 years, we've been dealing with the, with the trauma that you've left our, left our community with. And so now we're sitting here in this, in this, in this space trying to figure out how to do, deal with all of, the, well, all of the healing that needs to happen within all of these communities. And for us to be able to come together with one voice, we're going to need some time to do that. But we certainly can't abide uh, development and, uh, you know, resource extraction, all of those things in all of our communities to continue to roll on. Because if we didn't just sit back and do nothing, there isn't going to be anything left of us except for a little postage stamp in Southern Ontario if we have that. Well, exactly. And how, and how ironic but both conflicting for a judge to say, oh, you haven't made a claim for this land in all this time, which isn't factually correct, but then say, oh, and by the way, get off the land and stop making your claim for the land so I can hear the claim for your land. I mean, none of that makes any sense in a legal context, in a reconciliation context, and it's just, it's like there's no facts before the court whatsoever. I mean. 
Everybody knows, provincial governments know, municipalities know, federal government knows how long the Haudenosaunee, especially Six Nations, have been making claims over the Haldeman Tract and other pieces. I mean, well, everybody knows that. And if they didn't know it before, well, the, you know, the tensions that happened in Caledonia previously kind of brought that to the fore. So I, I, I guess I just really don't understand kind of that. Question. It was actually kind of funny when we were questioning the OPP, Paul DeMello, uh, the lawyer for Foxgate, asked the OPP if he ever knew about a claim um, and uh, on this tract of land. And, and even the cop was like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they claimed the whole Haldeman tract. Of course, it's common knowledge. <laughs> and he's like, no, you've heard of a claim for this land before. Well, yeah, it's, they claim six miles on either side of the Grand River from the mouth of a source. And he like, and then, the, yeah, I don't know. He just sat down after that. Like, damn it. That's not where I wanted that to go at all. Well, first of all, who is he to ask a cop? Like, cops no expert on land claims, first of all. <laughs> but second of all, yeah, hello, everybody yeah. knows that. Even just, I mean, everyone knows it's common knowledge. Come on. So it, it is, you know, absolutely. It, it, and to sit there as the developer, to say, we've had no idea. To just throw up your hands and say, well, we had no idea these natives were going to come out of the bush and start um, protesting our, our lands. Uh, when the zoning was going on for this particular plot, because it had to be rezoned and bylaws need to be rewritten for uh, to turn that farmland into residential area, um, uh, uh, there was a protest on the on the on the road directly across from where this development sits right now. So to sit there and say that you had no idea as a blockade as a blockade on the road that is contesting land, it is it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is. It's like watching a show. Uh, you know, uh, I guess a a real life show that is so full of ridiculousness. It's so full of like fictions, you know, like all of the legal fictions that everything has ever been created and they just pick and choose. Like, how can you say, what really gets me is that anyone in this day and age, after talking reconciliation and, you know, native rights and everything could even attempt to argue, you don't have a right to have a voice in this. You're the one who is standing accused. They're pointing all of their fingers at you as the leader, but A, you don't get to represent yourself um, in, a, in a legal system where there's no money for you to be represented. And then B, even if there were money, even if someone said, here's 500 grand, Skylar, that they still don't want to hear from you, that you shouldn't have a voice. I mean, that is, that is literally the opposite of where we should be. You should have a voice no matter what. And because you're unrepresented, you would think that a court system would say, you know what, we're gonna take extra measures to make sure that not only do you have a voice, but that you're aware of you know, rights that you have, that the judge would intervene and say, well, you know what, maybe this guy isn't qualified to act as an expert witness and talk about these issues on your behalf when you don't know to do that. I mean, but to say that you don't even get a voice really goes to the heart of the genocide, violence, and dispossession of Native people. To not even, to say you don't even deserve a voice. That's what gets me the most. Yeah, and I mean, I think that um, me kind of talking about Gladue and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report and uh, uh, Ipawash inquiry stuff that we were trying to bring up during our 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 opening arguments was, uh, you know, speaking to the fact that uh, we as a community, we as Indigenous people across the country have been alienated from this process from, you know, forever and they're in, in very documentable ways. And so us, us as, as, uh, as Indigenous people across the country, uh, you know, never have felt represented there or uh, have been, you know, felt like our voices have ever been heard there. And so for us as a community to, to come to the, come to that uh, courtroom with, uh, you know, trying to put out to them what exactly our story is. And for that to get 
uh, you know, turned away from in the, in, in the very abrupt manner that it was. Because that's the thing is this judge never, you know, had this ho- ho- one hour diatribe already typed out of just how big a jerk I am. Then in the 45 minute lunch that we had, as well as eating his ham sandwich, I call bullshit on that. And that's like, uh, he already had his mind made up before that uh, hearing ever started. Well, what, what's really profound, you know, about all of the court proceedings, and it doesn't even matter if you did have money for a lawyer, is, you know, the, the scales of justice are supposed to be blind, <laughs> and the scales of justice are supposed to be even, and there's been zero attempt to try to level out the inequality. You've got governments who have armies of lawyers and researchers and technicians and advisors. You have really rich corporations and companies who have tons of money for lawyers who can engage on multiple fronts. Civil litigation, they can do a criminal, you know, file criminal, like there's, but, but there's nothing for you. There's no legal aid for you. There's no researchers there's no support team that's provided for you and they use that and they've created this so that's the thing you know throughout the history Canada has created this situation of inequality and then use that to further push and take away our rights and I don't know what else native people are supposed to do what are they asking you to do just go away from the land forget about it because you know what the court's going to decide the court's going to decide no that belongs to the developer then they'll develop it really quickly it's already into third party hands and then what how do you make your claim then you can't and i think that's something that we keep on saying is like we haven't we haven't said that you know we want to go up and down the track evicting you know, families from homes that have been there for, you know, however long. That's not what we've been saying. We're saying that if there is um, an open partial land, that our community needs to be able to, uh, to like, and that's the thing is, I think we've even been saying, like, we will pay you, like, market rate to get off our land. We're not about buying that, but we'll certainly pay you to get off our land, for sure. And we've done that. Uh, both the band council and confederacy both have uh, bought in parcels of land off the reserve to try and make it bring it back under the reserve status. But the additions to reserve, additions to the reserve process is one that's never worked for any community across mm-hmm. the country. And so, how are we gonna like? How does one do that when the mayor Ken Hewitt would have to shrink his tax base in order because they have veto power over that parcel of land becoming part of the reserve again? So what politician, Ken Hewitt's not going to get back in office next year if he's shrinking his tax base, uh, you know, for the for the helpless little Indians from Six Nations, you know? And so this is the thing that uh, um, this little good little Indian that'll just stay at home and, and, and keep on taking the abuse and taking the uh, uh, misrepresentation of who it is we are, uh, whether you want to call us terrorists or whatever it is, like we've been peaceful and uh, engaged in uh, uh, wanting to negotiate and talk and counsel with uh, whoever. And I think me personally, I've said over and over and over again, if you need to talk to me, I don't care who you are, whether you're a politician or the guy that lives next door from the camp. Like I'm, I'm more than willing to talk to anybody and I, I can tell you exactly what happened and why we're there. Well, and and one of the things that, you know, we got a lot of responses from listeners the last time, you know, we had this conversation before there was a court process and all these arrests, you know, you guys were talking about how Haudenosaunee law is all based on the great law of peace. You actually just want to live in peaceful relations with other people. And, and even, you know, the warrior spirit is based in love and peace. And uh, we haven't Absolutely. seen... Yeah. So, I mean, t- to me... They're, they have to try really hard to paint you as bad to try to justify what they're doing. And that's that's all that we can see. I mean, really to call peaceful people terrorists, that's like trying to justify when the federal government and police agencies were following around Cindy Blackstock, you know, this loving social worker trying to protect Native kids in foster care as, as somehow, you know, deserved of 
monitoring and surveillance and you know she might be some kind of danger yeah. i mean they they've they've long ago lost any evidence or any justification for trying to paint people as terrorists and i haven't seen a single thing there other than just you're making your claim as strongly as you can in the most peaceful way that you can and according to canadian law were you not making your claim were you not consistently making your claim, then you lose the ability to make the claim. And the judge even kind of made that own argument indirectly. I don't even know if he did. realized it. Yeah. And that's the thing is if I leave and everybody else leaves and I, and I somehow have this uh, magical ability to force everybody else off the land because if the OPP can't do it, I guess Skylar Williams can do it. Like <laughs> that is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And so, um, the for them to be able to say that I I need to go home and make everybody else go home is in order for us to, as a community to have a voice in their system is like um, I don't understand how they can like he gave us a lot of room for an appeal though and so as much as I hate their system and I hate the like we expected a lot of what happened um yeah. on friday uh, we expected that and so um yeah i'm i'm i don't feel too too disheartened by by uh the comments of justice harper but at the same time I, it's uh, a perpetuation of uh you know that that same um that same line of thinking around you know the good little indian and what the good indian, little indian should be doing Get the good Indians and the bad Indians. Oh, you know, the good ones and the terrorists, I guess, that what, what the conservative government <laughs> used to call threats to national security. You know, that is all these people. And they were trying to divide the good chiefs and the treaty chiefs. The treaty chiefs were the threats right. to national security. And the good chiefs were the ones who just don't say anything, don't make waves, just, you know, continue to live on rations. And fundamentally they just don't understand how things work but you know i just keep going back to just the common the common elements of justice that how could you ever be denied your voice for any reason and i don't care if it's a technicality i don't care if it's a principle they want to draw out of the air you're entitled to your voice and and to fully defend yourself as an individual but also for the issue. I mean, how could you even be contemplating a permanent injunction when the claim, which is at the heart of this, hasn't even been heard? How can you get a permanent injunction over lands that are in dispute? Doesn't make sense. Absolutely. And I, and I think that's, that's the other bit of this, is that uh, the judge uh, kept using the, the term self-help, the self-help remedies in order for us to, um, you know, take land back. And so this, like, we all thought that was quite laughable as, like, the developer and certainly Haldeman is using the courts and injunctions as their own self-help remedies to be able to uh, use the OPP violence to be able to come in on us with, you know, shooting and tasering and dragging, uh, you know, uh, one of my friends that was uh, there during the raid has got some serious scars on his face from, you know, being dragged along the pavement. Like this is this is the reality of what uh, indigenous people um, that make a claim the way that we have and make a stand the way that we have to be able to you know push our agenda forward, saying that this is this this, this is who we are and this is our land. Uh, it is indisputable that this is our land, and so uh, to be able to have all of the documentation and paperwork from the last two hundred years of our you know our claims over this land, it's, it, it's, it, it is absolutely crazy to me that uh, this judge can stand up and say that we've never, we've never made a claim over that land. It, 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 it's insane that the, that we can sit there as a, uh, as, as a community and say, you know, that's, that, that, that's okay. And like, I don't know, it's, it's a hard bit for me. It's a hard pill to swallow. It is, especially knowing that it's happening where you are and it's happening in Mi'kma'ki and it's happening in Wet'suwet'en territory and it's happening in Algonquin territory and it's happening all across the country. And they've, you know, 
many centuries of genocide, which they've been found guilty of. I mean, Canada's a state perpetrator of ongoing genocide, uh, keeps our people tired. I mean, and that's the nicest word you can use for it, but tired. And it makes it difficult for all of us to rise up all at once because we're worried about our kids, we're worried about our families, we're worried about our safety, we're worried about enough food that to, to also take on treaty rights or land rights or sovereignty or any of these other things, which are also core parts of who we are as nations. It just... It's like, it seems insurmountable. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly don't speak for you or any other person in any other community outside of mine, but, you know, we're, we're still here because of our persistence and because even at times when there's only a couple, sometimes it's like one person that's on the front lines defending our rights that, you know, it shows that we, we're still we're still in it, even if we don't even if we're not all on the front line, sometimes we're behind the scenes supporting, sometimes we're playing other roles, but we're, were it not for people like you doing this, this would be gone. It would be developed. It would be gone. There would be no conversations around possible land transfers. It would only go back to money here. You can have some money and you know, I don't have to tell you that the heart of our nations is our land and our sovereignty, you know, our autonomy. And there's, there's no real exchange for land. You can't, I mean, mm -hmm. they say you can compensate with money, but you can't, you can't. You know, and that's the thing is like our connection to the land. Like this is our creation story. This is what we are made of is this clay. And so for, uh, you know, for a lot of our people, like that connection to the land is one that is that is literal. Like we are made from this. The the earth is part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so to to sit there and say that like covering, you know, our mother in concrete and asphalt is somehow, you know, what progress is supposed to look like and what we are supposed to tolerate tolerate as uh, as progress is for us to, you know, be hemmed in as communities into these tiny little patches until, you know, our communities are so overcrowded that our, there, there's no difference anymore between our communities and non-native communities. And so for us, for us, like we, you know, we grow uh, with space. Like my home, you go to my home, there's chickens and goats and pigs in the backyard and a huge farm. And, and so this is, you know, this is how we live. And so we don't live, you know, on top of each other or, you know, spitting distance from each other's back door. Like we live with space to be able to, it, it, it helps us to love each other if we're not in each other's face 24 seven. And so uh, to be able to grow and thrive as a community, we need that space to be able to do that. And we aren't, we certainly aren't going to do that by stacking each other into, you know, egg curtains of, uh, you know, urban sprawl. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's up to us to decide how we want to live anyway and you know the just thing to do people always say oh you know what is government supposed to do we have been telling them literally for decades have a moratorium on all land transfers until you address the land not not only on all of these individual like land transfers and i'm not talking about people who are living in homes but i'm talking about you know lands that aren't occupied uh, yet, including so-called crown lands, provincial and territorial and, and federal crown lands, there's no reason why governments couldn't be involved in full-fledged land transfers. You know, they can work out their problems in the ATR process later, but they could literally be transferring tons of lands. And as leases end, instead of, you know, sending it out to the highest bidder, oh, here's some more land that's going to go under the moratorium and we're not going to transfer lands until we decide which, which lands should they revert back to? I don't understand why we can't be in that kind of process. Moratorium on transfers. And that way, um, the beef isn't with these, you know, small numbers of land defenders. The beef is with the government who never should have transferred those lands to begin with and take it up with the government, not with land defenders. Yeah, and I think that's something that we submitted to as part of our... Um, uh, uh, our factum was that like because uh, we were trying to add a party as uh, uh, the crown uh, both Ontario and the federal government as 
as parties to this because mm-hmm. the developer's going after the wrong guy. Yep. Like there's compensation and accommodation that's supposed to happen. And so if Haldeman didn't tell this developer when they got the permit that you need to trigger this mechanism within the federal and provincial governments with Carolyn Bennett's office or, or Rickford's office and say, Hey, you guys need to go and talk to uh, six nations because we're about to do this massive development and we don't want to upset them because we already know because there's been two, the, certainly the last 15 years of, uh, of uh, first um, uh, Haudenosaunee people, the Confederacy, and the Band Council pushing for a moratorium on development, uh, Mohawk workers as well, um, all pushing for a moratorium on development, um, all saying the very same thing, that this is our land and we need to be consulted with and we need to be accommodated because of the strength of our claim certainly at Six Nations, because we weren't, this wasn't something, at Six Nations is, is, is kind of, it, it's, it's unique in a way because we weren't just there and white people moved into town. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, were, we were given a massive plot of land from the mouth of the source at a Grand River, six miles on either side as, as payment for our participation during the Revolutionary War. And our loss of lands in New York State. And so um, we already have the deed. And that's something we keep saying as well, that we're not asking Ontario. We're not asking Canada. We're certainly not asking Haldeman County to give us the deed back because we already had it and we've never relinquished it. Like this particular plot was was a squatter that came on there in 1847, squatted for five years in in the Nichols family. A uh, nice family from England moved to town and they wanted to buy some land that was already uh, cleared of brush and went up to this squatter that was that had been there for five years and they bought it off of him for 535 English pounds. And the Nichols family then patented that with the kind of newly started Canadian land registry. And, and that's how it became part of that. And then we spent the next, like I said, 70, 80 years trying to get get these people off our land yeah and hello royal proclamation you can't buy land from the (laughs) indian nations it has to go through the crown i mean like all of this stuff is no we know you can't just because you made a fraudulent transaction doesn't make it right and that's right and you know it's a real testament to native people that they're not saying, okay, all of you move off of our territory, that they're saying our beef is not with you as individuals who benefited from this illegal system. Our beef is with the governments who don't rectify it. And your beef, you know, is also with the governments, not with us. And that's why there, there should be literally an immediate moratorium on everything that's not just in that Haldeman tract, but anywhere that could be considered reasonably contiguous because you know you're not going to get all of those pieces back. So you also want to have other pieces to make up land for land. You know, I'm sure there would be all different kinds of, of things that are included in the claim, like loss of past use and future use, but it's still the land is the heart of things. And what gets me, and I, and I feel like a broken record on this, is that the first thing they ask is, well, have you been claiming this land? And, you know, of course you've been claiming this land. And now they ask you not to claim this land in order to come to court to claim the land, which we will not grant you. Like, they want you to go through the process so that, and we know what happens, the houses will be built. And in another territory, while we're waiting 25 years for it to go to the Supreme Court of Canada, all the timbers are moved or all the fish are fished or they, they do it so quickly so that by the time you get there, even if you win, the best you can ask for is money. And that's just not good enough. Absolutely. And, you know, land is not a renewable, <laughs> renewable resource. You know, this is not something that's being grown more and more every day. This is, this is, this is Haudenosaunee territory. And, and I, I feel like I've been saying it and I feel like a broken record myself saying it is our people have been here for at least the last 10,000 years and we got, we are planning on being here for another 10,000. And so, you know what, um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, despite the injunction, despite the contempt um, and my open defiance of the court order is, <laughs> is, is, is absolutely 
Absolutely, I'm openly defying that court order because it's not a it's not a system that is representing us as Haudenosaunee people, and certainly not in in the best interests of any any indigenous community across the country. And so, if we're going to you know if we're going to say um, every time we get in, in into that process that we have a you know uh, a five to ten percent chance of even being heard, mm-hmm. then you know what that, that's not the process for us. And so for them to use this as a self-help remedy um, to uh, extinguish land claims, like as far as I'm concerned, that is fundamentally a bitch move. And so we're not, and it's not something we're going to abide. Well, and, and as we all know, just because something's written in law doesn't make it just or legal according to <laughs> Haudenosaunee laws, Canadian laws, or international laws. And we can't forget that all of these laws are at play here. And we know, you know, hey, it used to be legal to scalp Mi'kmaq people. Was that law ever just? No, it was even unjust according to European law. So there's it's very appropriate to challenge laws and, and courts that are not acting lawfully or with justice or considering all the laws that are involved here. And certainly dehumanizing us by calling us terrorists yeah. makes, that, makes that much, much easier. When yeah. we're not seen as, as people, when we're not seen as, as human beings, and certainly not being seen as Ongohoe people, um, uh, it, it, it takes away, it takes away from who we are. And so it's a lot easier for judges. It's a lot easier for cops to, you know, do the, the racist things that are talked about in the, mm-hmm. you know, the, you know, overrepresentation in jails, the mm-hmm. over incarceration of indigenous people like the, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, like all people of color in this country, have the you know the the uh, great burden of being shot and killed by cops more than any yep. you know it's absolutely ridiculous and so for us as a community to see um you know these people that uh, came out to support us after we got raided and people um were burning tires and and damaging police cars and things like that like as much as i'm you know uh not not in favor of the violence and, and but this is what you know i got no blame for anybody that smashed the window of a police car i got no blame for anybody that you know burnt a tire this is what 500 years of hate and oppression in residential schools and this is what this is what that looks like when you push people that are breaking point because when when racism is something that's whispered behind people's backs and you know behind closed doors it's almost tolerable for us but when that racism is shown in a way that is OPP firing bullets at mm-hmm. uh, rubber bullets or otherwise at indigenous people for who are simply camped around a fire and singing and telling jokes and stories uh, and being tasered and beaten by the OPP for doing that, for exercising our rights over our lands. And so, you know what, if the, if this is the, the direction that OPP wants to take from the, from this judge or, or, uh, for any city officials is, is to, you know, take those marching orders to come and, uh, what was it? Escalate, escalate, uh, an escalation of tactics from the Ipperwash and Oka standoffs. And so, um, for those people like, uh, that want to talk as if, you know, dead Indians in the, in Ipperwash Park where, or, uh, you know, the women and children that were shot at in the, the cross arena at Oka. Like this is, um, if this, if this is the, the escalation of that, an escalation from that is, is, is a whole bunch of dead Indians. And this is something that we can't tolerate. And our own Guahama people are not going to tolerate it. And it's certainly across the country. We've seen Vancouver, Winnipeg, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, Toronto, Cambridge, Guelph, um, uh, Montreal, uh, Nova Scotia, everybody come out to say on, on Friday to say, you know, like our, uh, we will lift each other's voices up. And, you know, the government thought they were dividing us all them years ago by putting us on these reserves all over Canada. 
and hemming us into these little communities. And then they were th- then they thought they were taking advantage of us by running major highways and railways and waterways through our communities. And now look what they've done to themselves. Yep. Yep. Just right there. You can even just end it right there because we all know what you're talking about. And for people who don't know, last week we had a national day of action, uh, a peaceful, joyful, spirit uplifting day of action all across the country where, you know, we were standing up for 1492 land back lane land defenders, as well as the Mi'kmaq people in my home territory defending their right to fish, earn a livelihood and govern their waters, even in the face of violent, threatening racism by the non-native fishers, the same with the Wet'suwet'en and their right to say no, or the Shekwetmik to say no to pipelines in their territory, all across the country, taking actions to show just how unified we are. And we, this isn't the first time. I mean, we showed it during I Don't Know More on a more general scale, but look at what happened just before the pandemic. And I think people are forgetting where were we in the months just before the pandemic? We were literally what so strong across this nation. And, you know, you have this huge collaboration between what so peoples and the Mohawks at Tantanaga and all these other communities. So that that's where we were. So, so, you know, um, when I was picked up for on August 5th uh, during the raid here, I was also charged with an additional mischief that day. And that uh, additional mischief was for the six-week blockade of Highway 6 that ran through from February to March. What? I was also charged with that as well. Oh, yeah. By the way, we're so pissed at you. We're just going to add this other charge that we could have added long ago, but we've just been holding on to it. I don't know if they were looking for me quite as hard as they are now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I... I don't expect anything less at this point. Every single public inquiry that's ever been done in Canada, we know, says that both police forces and the justice system are infected with racism, that they don't treat Native people fairly at any stage, and nothing has changed. We're still in that scenario. So for so for people who weren't necessarily following the court case, what was the end result? I, As I understand it, the judge gave people a deadline to leave 1492 is that the case uh no they told me to leave right away um but the 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 line was drawn in the sand for us as to either you know if you want to uh participate in the court process i need to leave and i need to make everybody else leave as well um and need to take responsibility for everybody else that is there and so, you know, the several hundred people that have supported over the last, you know, three months, like, uh, they're there on, because I make them be there, I guess. I don't know. Uh, and so it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't quite understand the line of thinking there as well, but, um, uh, and so they set the date for the 22nd of October for, uh, the ruling on the permanent injunction. and. The Judge Harper is going to decide whether or not uh, he can take it upon himself to extinguish land rights for Haudenosaunee people over this tract of land. Wow. So we have a lot of work to do between then and now. What can supporters do to help you? I know that there have been amazing people rallying across the country to um, donate to the legal fund, for example, which goes to help for the criminal cases for those who've been arrested. There have been others who have been uh, bringing supplies. Um, Sure. Yeah, are there other things that we can do to help uh, other than, you know, lifting your voices and trying to share what's happening on social media, of course, but... You know what, if like all of that stuff is, has been and is, is amazing. Like all of that stuff, the the GoFundMe I think is at one hundred and seventy thousand dollars, and so, you know, like the, uh, um, if there's fifty people that end up arrested and have face charges over this, and each one costs about five thousand dollars to see, see through, then you know what, there goes there goes two hundred and fifty k, right? Yeah. And so, it, uh, 
so yeah, if we can, you know, keep that, keep that rolling. Cause so right now there's 30 arrests and, you know, we're looking at 22 more. So, you know, uh, minus a few people that can, you know, apply for legal aid or whatever, or, uh, have pro bono lawyers, whatever we can, we can try and, you know, make work what, what dollars we have, but like, it would be amazing if we could at least pay for the paper clips for those lawyers who want to, uh, do the pro bono stuff for us. Um, as well as the uh, injunction stuff, uh, I'm going to be representing myself on that until you know, until our legal legal fund gets to you know a million and a half dollars. Then, uh, if if we can get it there, then I'm in, and I'll hire a lawyer, and I can stop reading case law and get back to building and digging in for the winter, and you know, making sure that you know our camp is is tip top. So. And, and what about uh, supplies? Like, how, how do we, because yeah. you continue to get people bringing supplies despite the risks, I guess. Yeah. How can we make sure that you have everything you need on site? I mean, just to live. Uh, yeah, yeah, the building, the building um, uh, camp fund, which is uh, uh, land back, the number six nations at uh, gmail.com. And so people can uh, just simply, you know, e-transfer some, you know, uh, you know, um, my nephew transferred $4 the other day through his mom's. Uh, and so, you know, it's an, it, it's awesome to be able to see, you know, uh, people in our community come out and, and support in whatever way they can. And so, um, so yeah, it was, it was neat to be able to, you know, and see, you know, people have, you know, made, you know, huge donations, you know, $500, $1,000 to, you know, that's what's gotten our building built as, as good as it has been. And so um, we are planning on sticking it out throughout the winter, throughout the, throughout the next summer and, and planting and, you know, rehabbing the soil there. Because that's the thing is, you know, when these developments go on, they just bulldoze down every blade of grass, every shrub, every tree every hill, everything that makes, you know, our lands, uh, some of the most beautiful up and down the Grand River, uh, they bulldoze all that down. And, and so, yeah, to be able to rehab that and do whatever we can, uh, to help mother nature along to, to give, give her the, you know, the nourishment that she needs to be able to kind of keep reproducing life. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of, I can't even imagine what it must be like for you. Things change moment to moment and all the requests um, and pressure there is on you, seeing as the court has now <laughs> waved its magic wand and said, you're the one responsible for everything. That's, you know, it's as funny as it is. It's not funny uh, because they also <laughs> make you a target. You know, they make you the one responsible for everything. So I uh, thank you for everything that it is you're doing in terms of defending the land in the way that you carry yourself in the way that you represent um and the time that you take to help everybody else understand what's going on um like honestly i you know we're we're all indebted to all of the land defenders there and all of the people supporting everyone and i'll do my part to try to share this as widely as possible and um encourage people to donate both for supplies but also for the legal fees because it would be great if Absolutely. we could ramp up legal fees and get you some representation to go <laughs> to go help too so thank you for everything that you're doing oh it's it, it, yeah it's no problem thank you for the uh for uh you know trying to do your part to get the get the word out there and i saw that you guys uh, you and uh, bev jacobs had a teach-in the other day and so that was it's awesome like uh people like yourself and bev and uh you know the journalists around around that are you know doing doing the work to build those relationships and you know get the story out as uh, as best they can it's uh it's hard it's hard work i know that it is and it's uh really time consuming and so you know what I'm, I'm i'm really really grateful and all of us at land back lane are really great really grateful for you know all the work that you guys are doing well thank you so much and thanks to all the listeners for tuning in 
to the Warrior Life podcast. Um, I'll post links to the donation site and Facebook site and emails. Uh, the Facebook site's really important because you get all of the daily updates, which are actually really inspiring seeing people, you know, at concerts and playing <laughs> lacrosse. And so, I mean, that's really fantastic. And the other thing is remember this podcast is not just for informational purposes, it's education for action. So, whatever you learn here, share widely and then take some kind of action to address the injustice. That's the whole purpose of this. That's the whole purpose of the YouTube and the blogs and everything else. It's action because it's the people who actually have the power to make a difference. So thank you so much, Skylar Nyawan, for all that you do. Until next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag. <laughs>